Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In chapter 18 of his work, Leviathan, Thomas Hobbes goes on to talk about the rights of the sovereign. And really these rights are specified in relation to the subjects of the sovereign. It's what the sovereign gets to do or can't be held accountable for in relation to the subjects. And you could say, well, this, you know, this sounds pretty bad. Why would the subjects want to have such an absolute authority established over them? For Hobbes, it's so that they can have a reliable and safe way of living. He actually mentions towards the end of it that some people might say that there's a lot of inconveniences here, but they don't consider that the estate of man can never be without some incommodity or other, and that the greatest that in any form of government can, can possibly happen to the people in general is scarce sensible in respect of the miseries and horrible calamities that accompany a civil war or that dissolute condition of a masterless men without subjection to laws and a coercive power to tie their hands from rapine and revenge. And so, you know, he's saying, listen, it would be way worse if you didn't have this sovereign authority there. The other thing I want to point out as well that comes after his listing of the many different rights is that he says, these are the rights which make the essence of sovereignty. So these compose what it means to be sovereign. And he says, these are incommunicable and inseparable. This is really quite important. The sovereign cannot give up these rights to somebody else and they remain inseparable from each other. So he gives, for example, and this is coming from, you know, the background of the English Civil War, that the sovereign is the only one who can actually have military forces. You don't want other people having militias. But if you remove the sovereign's ability to raise funds through taxes, that means that they can't actually support the military. So they can't end that right. And so all of these rights sort of reinforce each other, Hobbes is saying it's a package deal. You, you get all of these and if you try to take away any of them, you're undermining the sovereign and putting everybody at risk for going back into civil war. So what are these rights? The first one is that he says, once you've actually bound yourself by a covenant and you've entered into a commonwealth, you own the actions and judgments of, of the sovereign. You cannot lawfully make a new covenant amongst yourselves to be obedient to any other in anything whatsoever without his permission. Now, this would extend to like, you know, maybe even having clubs and having officers of the clubs that would have to be ratified in some way by the supreme authority. Maybe they don't care so much about that. What Hobbes is really concerned about is having private allegiances or forming compacts or, or factions within the society. He says you can't do that. The sovereign has a a right to your absolute loyalty in that respect. If they want to allow you to, you know, create new assemblies so you could do charitable organization work or something like that, the sovereign can decide that, but you have to get permission first. The other one that follows from this, and it's kind of similar to the fourth one, is the, the second one. 
He says that because the right of bearing the person of them all is given to him, they make sovereign by covenant only of one to another and not of him to any of them. There can happen no breach of covenant on the part of the sovereign. Consequently, none of his subjects by any pretense of forfeiture can be freed from his subjection. So the sovereign is not subject, you can say, to the social contract. They're above it. They're the one who enforces it. And so they can't be held to be bound by it or presumably the laws of nature besides, like, say, the third law, which we're going to talk about in, in, in uh, the... the third has to do with when we enter into the agreement in the first place. But this could be extended tacitly or implicitly to all of those who are born into or don't take part in the formation of a commonwealth. Hobbes says that when a sovereign has been chosen by the majority of the people who are choosing it, everybody else is stuck with it. They have to enter into the arrangement. They don't get to say things like, no, I didn't vote for them, so I'm not going to be bound by them. Hobbes would say, if you do that, you're essentially getting ready for civil war. You're essentially saying that you're not going to cooperate. And so then you could be punished for that. If you voluntarily enter into the congregation of them that were assembled, you have to stand to what the major part should ordain. The fourth one, uh, sort of like the second one, but making it a little bit more explicit, he says, because every subject is by this institution author of all the actions and judgments of the sovereign, it follows whatsoever he does, that is the sovereign, it can be no injury to any of his subjects, nor ought he to be by any of them accused of injustice. The sovereign literally cannot do wrong in a moral or political sense. Whatever they do is okay. Even if it's stupid, even if they, they had inadequate information and they made a decision based on that, even if they're being motivated by their own personal animosity or preference as an individual, it's the sovereign, so you're, you're stuck with it. Along with this goes another key thing. Hobbes, in the Civil War, he saw the sovereign actually punished. He says, no person that has sovereign power can justly be put to death or otherwise in any manner by his subjects be punished. So the sovereign is above the law, not only in terms of you know justice and injustice, but also in terms of punishments. With the sixth, we get to something that is really quite interesting and deepens the power of the sovereign and also might be raising some red flags for quite a few people. He says, it's annexed to the sovereignty to be judge of what opinions and doctrines are averse and what conducing to peace. And consequently, on what occasions, how far and what men are to be trusted withal in speaking to multitudes of people and who shall examine the doctrines of all books before they be published. So what we've got here is deciding which doctrines can actually be communicated in public forums and who is entitled to present them or to argue for them or to teach them and what books can be published, what can be published in books. Why? Why is this so important? Why couldn't Hobbes just say, listen, so long as you obey the law, say whatever you want, you can like say that the law sucks or anything you like, but you have to obey. Why is it so important that there be this 
scope of censorship and oversight. He says that the actions of men proceed from their opinions and in the well-governing of opinions consists the well-governing of men's actions in order to their peace and concord. And so, you know, he says that teachers, you can have false doctrines, contrary truths. And what happens is people disagree with each other. And this brings us back into a state of war. As a matter of fact, he says, the most sudden and rough bustling in of a new truth that can be never does break the peace, but only sometimes awake the war. Men that are so remissly governed that they dare take up arms to defend or introduce an opinion are still in war. If you're willing to use violence to get your point across, you're actually still in a state of war and the sovereign should take care of that. Number seven, he says that the sovereign should get to decide the whole power of prescribing the rules whereby every person may know what goods they may enjoy, what actions they may do without being molested by any of his fellow subjects. This is what men call propriety. So it, you get to decide what is mine and what is yours, right? And he says of the good, evil, lawful and unlawful and the actions of, of subjects. So this is quite important, right? People are going to disagree about whether something is right or wrong or whether somebody's damaged somebody else's property or things like that. So there's going to be controversies. The sovereign, according to Hobbes, gets to be the only judge. He has the right of judicature, that is to say, of hearing and deciding all controversies which may arise concerning law or concerning fact. And he says, without the decision of controversies, there's no protection of one subject against the injuries of another. The laws concerning mayum, what is mine, and tuum are all in vain, and we would be back in the state of war. So the sovereign judges those things, and they are the ultimate court. Number nine, the sovereign gets to conduct foreign policy. Hobbes frames this primarily in who you're at war with or at peace with. We can probably imagine that this would also extend to say economic policy or things like that. So you don't get to decide for yourself, you know, how you're going to have an attitude if you're the English towards the French or anything like that, right? Uh, tenth, this is very important. This is how the sovereign's power gets extended and trickles down to everybody in society. The sovereign gets to choose and notice the four classes of people that Hobbes talks about. Counselors, those who are going to give information or advice, the sovereign. Ministers, those who are in charge of areas like say the treasury or war or development of the interior. Magistrates, those who are going to be charged with, with, you know, keeping peace in general and officers, a very vast segment of society that could include everybody from, you know, dog catcher all the way up to the, the person who mints the coins or whatever it's going to be. And so the sovereign chooses these and these are agents of the sovereign. They get to take on, they, the sovereign doesn't lose any power by delegating power to them but the sovereign is thereby able to, you know, have many hands, many eyes, many ears throughout society. The 11th sovereign, he says, has committed the power of rewarding with riches or honor and of punishing with corporal or pecuniary punishment or with ignominy, which is, you know, bad repute. Every subject according to the law he have formerly made 
or if there be no law made, according as he shall judge, that's what most conduce to the encouraging of men to serve the commonwealth or deterring from doing disservice to the same. So the, the rewards and punishments get doled out by the sovereign. And notice that these are not just money. These are not just, you know, corporal punishment. It could be honor or dishonor. It's up to the sovereign to choose that. And then lastly, he says, we also have to straighten some things out with the laws of honor. What are going to be the ways in which people are designated? How do we rank people? What signs do other people have to give? This is up to the sovereign and nobody else. They get to, as he says, establish the laws of honor and a public rate of the worth of such men as have deserved or are able to deserve well of the commonwealth. And notice that he says, and that there be force in the hands of some or others to put these laws into execution. So it's not just saying we should aspire to treat people in this way and honor them in this way. There's laws that enforce. So all of these are rolled into what it means for Hobbes to be a sovereign, to be an absolute ruler. And Hobbes thinks that if you want a state of peace, rather than a state of war, which is where you're sooner or later going to lose everything, and uh, or you might come out on top for a while and be unhappy because somebody bigger and badder comes along. If you want that, you have to have all of these given to the authority figure that you establish as the sovereign. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.